On today's episode of Quest, Chloe Baum from Take a Zenex returns to the podcast. Life is a quest for logic and reason. It is a quest to find balance between science and faith. Life is a quest for knowledge and understanding. But most importantly, it's a quest for personal discovery. Whatever your quest, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to Quest. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Todd Fisher, and welcome to Season 3 of Quest. A quest is a search for something, and this podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. To me, curiosity is part of what makes us human, and there's still so much we don't know. There's joy in discovery. It's what drives us. It's our quest. Hi, Chloe. Welcome back to the Quest Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me back. So I am excited to have you back. You know, we recorded, I had to go back and look at the records on this. We recorded on July 2nd of 2020. And the episode aired. Yeah, it's been a while, right? And it aired on July 27th of 2020. This was right after COVID, right? Yeah. And um, your episode has consistently been one of my top five most popular episodes. So I think periodically I've like got online and said, come back, let's do a catch up call. And finally, we made it work. And, uh, and I just kind of wanted to get people caught up on where you were at, because your story was so compelling. Um, and we're going to get into, you know, some of what we talked about before and a lot of new stuff today. But uh, since that time, you know, catch us up. <laughs> What's been going on? You've had a crazy college experience, right? Yes, indeed. I mean, it's hard to even know where to start. I mean, that summer, COVID summer 2020 was, I think, a turning point for me in a lot of ways because I was pretty unhappy um, with my college experience up until that point. And that was really independent of the pandemic. I was just not loving it. Like I wasn't loving my experience at Tulane. I was going through personal stuff and I just wasn't really content. So in a way, I kind of felt like the timing of the pandemic sending us home work to my advantage. Obviously, I would never like wish the series of events on anyone, but it was more just sort of like I needed that time to pause and really reevaluate things. Um, And then I was supposed to, I was supposed to go abroad that fall for um, my junior fall semester which I was really looking forward to kind of like to get out of my Tulane bubble and meet new people and immerse myself in French culture because I was um, minoring in French here and didn't get to do that. So that was that was definitely a bummer. But I do think it made me kind of look around and appreciate the things about my experience here in New Orleans um, that I was probably neglecting before for whatever like personal reasons. Um, And yeah, I just like, when I look back on it, I, I do think that was like an important turning point for me because it made me start to just reevaluate like what I wanted, what I wanted to get out of my time and be super intentional about like the things I put energy into and, you know, take a Xenex was one of those things. Right. Um, so be, so since then you've graduated now, you're still, you're technically right now as the airing of this podcast, you're still in Louisiana, but you actually technically have already kind of graduated and you're just waiting to, uh, to walk with your class. So correct. 
so you did make it through college. So that's good. <laughs> I mentioned a lot of people dropped out and probably never went back, right? Totally. I mean, it definitely felt real surreal to see my diploma. I actually just got it a, like a week ago because it took a while to like process. They just sent it to me, but definitely felt surreal. But I, I think it kind of won't entirely set in until the rest of my friends are you know, going through it with me and I'm actually going through the motions of like having the ceremony, but it definitely is a relief just to know that like I did that and I can at least put the academic component of my college experience behind me and tied up, tied it up with a little bow, you know? Right. Do you think, so you're from New York. Do you think there's a difference of opinion of COVID or how it's treated differently between the North and the South? You've, have you seen a specific way in which maybe education or government or anything like that maybe handles or treats or takes seriously the virus? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's really a difficult adjustment, even pre-COVID, just the way the way of life here is, is so entirely different. Um, there's just an overall lack of urgency in all things here, which is like nice in many respects because it slows you down and um, I think kind of makes you look around and appreciate your surroundings a little differently. But when it comes to things like COVID, it's like you want that urgency to feel safe and secure. And I definitely felt, especially last year before I was vaccinated, I felt pretty unsafe in certain moments, just kind of like walking around, seeing people not wear their masks or not take it super seriously. I mean, New Orleans is a pretty liberal city within a conservative state. So it, like all of the urgency was kind of concentrated in my area, which was which was nice, but still compared to what it was like at home, I felt like it was very lax. Right, right. You also had hurricanes to deal with during your college experience. Talk about that a little bit. Oh my gosh. Yeah, multiple. Um, last year's hurricane season, so this was like fall 2020, was the worst we've had. Like, it was just like every couple of weeks, there was a new storm system moving in and we would go through the motions of like getting the groceries and like flashlights and portable chargers. And for me, someone with like pretty severe anxiety, that whole process was just not, not welcomed. And even though, you know, everything nine out of 10 times, everything was okay and nothing too crazy happened just going through the motions of it was very stressful. Um, and none of them evac got us evacuated though. Um, this fall or I mean, end of, end of August when we had hurricane Ida, that was like the first, that was the first time in all of the storm we've had that we actually all had to like get the heck out of here because it was very clear that it was going to be just as powerful or powerful than Katrina. Right. So it was very scary. I produce another podcast called The Karate Priest, which is a Catholic priest who's a martial arts expert. <laughs> and he has interesting uh, ways of addressing uh, the audience. And he is in Homa, is where his uh, parish is. So th that was like a direct hit. That hurricane was oh, like yeah. a direct hit. So we couldn't record for nearly three months because they just literally had no communications and they were oh, trying yeah, to rebuild. No. And it was, uh, it was amazing to hear his was, story about it. Yeah, absolutely devastating there because New Orleans, as much as, you know, we were hit for sure. The, the sense of urgency is always to restore power and restore resources to the city. It's never to like restore that to sort of the outer suburbs or like rural parts of southeastern Louisiana. So places like Homa were really got the short end of the stick in relief efforts. And I actually last semester 
um, one of my classes, I was in an environmental biology class and my teacher gave us an option, which I really thought was amazing of her, gave us an option of taking a Saturday to do um, relief, hurricane relief efforts instead of um, one of our tests. Like if we opted into doing the service day, we got an A for one of our tests of the semester. And so I and I and a few friends drove out like an hour and a half out of the city to like deep in the bayou. And we basically just cleaned up someone's backyard. Like there were just trees. Like it was about a month. Yeah, like a month after the hurricane or five or maybe even six weeks and nothing had been restored. Like New Orleans at that point was basically okay it was basically back to normal there was some debris but it was very like everyone was on track again like restarting their lives but in this area it was like it looked like it it had hit yesterday it was really scary yeah yeah wow incredible yeah what a what a weird two years it's been for you (laughs) for sure it's an understatement right right So you're going to, so you've got, what did you get your degree in? So I got a bachelor's of science in psych and a double minor in French and sociology. And you're going to, you're, so you're going back to New York and you're going to be working for an app called Chill Pill. Is that right? Yeah. Tell, tell the audience about Chill Pill. What is this app? Okay. So the app isn't out yet. I mean, by the time this is released, it still won't be out. Our plan is sort of, I think, spring, potentially May. But um, yeah, basically, I work for a startup company that I found in a very random way. Um, Someone that my dad used to work with, backs a lot of like mental health startups and, and, um, nonprofits. And my dad had mentioned that I was super passionate about mental health advocacy and kind of connected us. And then he was like, Oh, I want you to meet this young founder of a startup that's developing an app for Gen Z women's mental health. And after I connected with my now boss, Haley, um, I just became super obsessed with her, whole business idea and plan and concept and she was looking to hire someone with a psych background to kind of manage the community side of things because she and the majority of the team were focused on the um like the engineering side of things just getting the app to a workable form um and she was kind of doing the rest of the community stuff on her own, meaning like social media, you know, recruiting new members, engaging them, leveraging those users. And she wanted someone to kind of with a psych background to be able to help her out with that side of things. So I was like, I mean, that would be perfect for me. And I just honestly grinded really hard and did a lot of research I kind of interviewed on and off for like a couple weeks. I did like a trial assignment for her. And, you know, as a startup company, your first few hires are very um, important. Like you don't, it's not like she has an endless, endless budget to just pay people to do random tasks. So she obviously was taking her time, um, getting to know me and like my capabilities. So when I was eventually offered the job, I was really, really excited and just did not take it for granted. Like I was like, this is a position, even though it's a startup and could potentially flop, this is a position that is going to be really valuable for me. So I, yeah, I was really excited to take it on. And how do users of the app interact with the app? Is it service? Are you actually talking to people? Is it just an inspirational type of app? Like what, what will people get from it? Yeah. So 
the framework of it is kind of based off of AA peer support group meetings. My, my boss um, used to go to AA and found that it was really powerful the way that you would attend meetings and there was no clinician. It was just kind of like people talking about their experience. And she was like, why doesn't this exist for just, you know, non-addicts who want to talk about their feelings and maybe more specifically about their mental health struggles. So she kind of took that idea and um, incorporated it with the growing virtual therapy trend right now. And it kind of became, she, she kind of envisioned it as like a place where specifically young women go and connect with other young women who are experiencing similar things to them, but it's completely anonymous. You choose like a username that's like not connected to your real name. And then you choose like an avatar for a profile picture. And then you basically just like interact with these other users. There are support group meetings that you can attend that are led by other community members or audio only. So you go, you and you you can unmute to share or you can just be muted the whole time and listen. And so that's one function of it. And then another function is like we'll have a thoughts feed where people kind of just like dump whatever is on their mind and people can comment, like, and share um, people's reflections. And it's kind of just like a resource, not therapy for sure by any means, but like a resource to support, you know, your mental health without having to, I think, interact with anyone in your personal life, because that can often feel like intimidating or burdensome, but just know that there's like this community that's anonymous, but that's supporting you. More important than ever, I think. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, mental health struggles have been around for a long time, but after COVID numbers are, I mean, I don't even know if there's studies that show how much more um, oh, yeah. the world has, has moved into mental, like a mental distress in a way, you know, mm-hmm. and so, so many things came out of this pandemic that affected people, whether they lost their jobs or just weren't making the right amount of money or, or, uh, you know, if they dealt with deaths in their family or people that they knew their friends or what, how, how they've struggled with their health, especially people with long-term COVID symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. May still be battling that and not knowing how or if they'll be able to work or when symptoms will come on or just generally the fright, the fear around whether this virus will go away, whether it will get worse, you know, and I can't imagine kids that are growing up with this, like kids, I think that are getting into elementary school, right, where they kind of have a sense of you know, detecting what's going on with people around them or how people feel, or just generally entering school and the first years of your life interacting with others, you're doing it with a mask. And even the mask thing alone has, there's so many issues with this. I think people are going to work on for decades about the effect of wearing a mask all the time or interacting with people in a mask. Like it's, it's insane. Like, uh, it, it, like the, like the world completely had to be reshaped because of this. And, uh, it's, uh, it's just crazy. What's your biggest takeaway from the pandemic? Do you, do you have a positive outlook on this? Do you, do you feel that any good came out of this? Was there, you know, do you fear for the future? What do you, what do you think after what you've gathered from the last two years? I mean, I, I, it's hard to, you know, find a silver lining in such a devastating time. And it feels, it can feel a little insensitive to even try to, but what I will say is that at least in my experience, it's completely shaped, reshaped my priorities and like the way that I just go about 
the, my day-to-day stressors. And I think that that is something super positive I'm leaving this experience with. Like I, I just am able to tell myself when I'm like really spiraling down a hole about, you know, work stuff or some petty drama with friends or whoever it be, I'm able to ground myself and be like, zoom out and, and see what, look at what you've gone through in the last two years and ask yourself how important this really is to you. Because, you know, there were many moments in the last two years where I was just completely in survival mode and we all were, and our priority was just, or our main focus had to be just staying safe and keeping the people we love safe. So I think that framework will will come with me for sure um and I and I do think it's brought me closer to kind of my purpose and my mission and the things that I'm passionate about because when you have to shut the world out and it's just you that brings out a lot of introspect a lot of introspection and also you know, makes you reevaluate like what, what really brings you joy and what makes you feel, feel valuable. Right. Right. Absolutely. I couldn't have said any of that better myself. I think you're right on the money with that. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast. We talked about it a little bit before we started recording. Your podcast has been one of my top five most listened to podcasts since it came out, which I, I thought was amazing. And, and I got actually your podcast alone, I've gotten actually more emails, more messages about than any other podcast that I've done, which I yeah. think is, is incredible. And it was usually always the same thing, how you were just like so vulnerable and so real in your, in your episode. And you're still this way today. Um, and I think that's really fascinating. So what I wanted to do was I actually have some listener questions. These are all real questions. Some of these are from people that had emailed me in the past about your episode that are asking a question now for this new one. Um, answer these to the best you can. Some of them are serious questions. Some are uh, simpler questions, but I thought maybe it would be a nice fan service for you to, um, to respond because uh, people think really highly of you here. Um, in my my quest universe. So I thought this would be fun to do. So the yeah. first question is from Lindsay Brewer, and she asks if you have a self-care regimen. Hmm. I love that. Um, I, I definitely have my routines that I would consider under the umbrella of self-care, but I think it kind of shifts depending on you know, what my needs are during that time slash like what's going on in my life at that moment. Um, but some of the more general ones, um, I'm, I like to be vigilant about like my skincare and taking care of just like the, the things that you feel like you can control um, to nourish yourself, whether that's like, you know, cooking a healthy meal, washing my hair, taking care of my skin, drinking a lot of water, stuff like habits like that. I try to be um, pretty vigilant about at, especially when I'm struggling, because I feel like that's when I, that's when I'll benefit the most from them. But, and then, I mean, something kind of more silly, but just has always helped me is I, I always like to watch something like a tv show something that's not too serious before i go to bed so that i can like take my mind off of whatever's been on my stressing me out that day or because i just i think it's like it's definitely easy especially these days with technology at our to just like go to bed with such a heavy heart and such a kind of restless mind so i try to just distract myself before bed with something kind of thoughtless. Sure. Do you have an every day that you do that's consistent? Do you say a prayer or meditate or do yoga every day? Or is it just kind of change it up based on 
how you're feeling? Yeah, I kind of changed it up. Like it's, I mean, some of the practices that I was just listing off, I do every day, but like in terms of, I, I don't have a daily meditation practice, which is most people find kind of surprising given like my mom is such a serious yogi and also like just given everything really about me, but I'm not opposed to it in any way. It's more just like, I've never been able to actively um, make it a daily thing, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think not really. I kind of like some days I'll feel like doing a yoga flow. Other days I'll feel like going on a walk for my movement or some days I won't do anything. So I'll just, I'll be too tired, you know? So it's like, it really depends on, um, what I, what I'm feeling that day. Sure. Sure. I often wonder if people have self-care regiments that are in the morning or in the evening. Do you think there's a time when people do it more often? I, for me, I like always, kind of anchor towards the evening but I think I, but I, that's also I think just because I'm not really a morning person and I feel like I'm more myself as the day goes on so I'm like in a better place to like do those regimens but I think it kind of just depends on like the way you orient yourself and I I'm, I've been trying to incorporate more into my mornings recently, especially now that I'm doing this remote work, because it's so important for me to kind of like craft that structure, because without it, I'm just sort of floating. <laughs> sure, sure. See, I don't sleep much myself, and I find myself writing into the night. I, li I like to create and write at night for some reason. Maybe it's quieter. I don't know what it is, but I've always enjoyed writing well into the night. But my mornings, and when I say mornings, I mean, probably not before 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah, for me, but my mornings are coffee and contemplation. You know, yeah. that's my time where it's, you know, two hours of the phone will not be on. I don't take a call or schedule a meeting before noon and it's prayer or it's meditation or it's contemplation and uh, mixing in busy work, checking emails and things like that. Right. That's what I'll do is a very relaxed morning. And then at the end of my writing night, I'll unplug with like a silly TV show. It's got to be The Office or Scrubs or Seinfeld. Right. You know what I mean? It's got to be something that gets my brain completely disentangled from what I've been working on. Totally. That's me. So there, our next uh, question is from Amanda Ferguson, who asked, was it harder for you to be in college during COVID or being in New York City during COVID? That's actually such an interesting question because... I mean, in some ways it feels like apples to oranges, like how can you even compare the two? But in another way, you know, I also see that thought train, but um, I think that the experience of being in college during this time is entirely unique and will definitely shape the rest of my adult life but I think because of who I am as a person like my temperaments like I was never the biggest partier I was never like the most social and I'm pretty introverted just by nature like the actual logistical impacts of the pandemic were not so disruptive to me the way that like it was to other college students it was more just like the anxiety of like having to, you know, be weary of catching it. That was on my mind and the uncertainty of it. But I, I don't think it was as disruptive to me as it was to, you know, maybe a stereotypical college student. Sure. Um, COVID in New York city was obviously like nothing anyone had ever seen and I was fortunate enough that for the first eight weeks or so I was quarantining in Connecticut with my family but um my parents I mean my mom's 
apartment is right on the block of a hospital. So we were right in the thick of it, even, you know, once a couple months had gone by, it was like freezer trucks on our block and just like absolute chaos. And it was really bleak to see the place I grew up just so tainted by everything, you know, and people, people who didn't live, who didn't come from the city would say to me like, oh, like I, I I can't see myself coming back anytime soon. And that made me really sad, but, you know, I, I never, I never thought it wouldn't bounce back. Like there wasn't a part of me that was like worried that was going to be the end of the city as we knew it. So I don't remember, I don't even really think I answered that question, but I think they were just difficult in different ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it was weird because I knew, you know, your, your family was in Connecticut. Um, so I was in the city during the, in March, you know, like things were like really starting to like go to crap. And it was the weirdest experience to be able to be, to walk four blocks and not see a single person. Right. Like, to see Times Square empty, literally empty. And I'm not kidding. I mean, empty, like not a single person. There weren't even, because they even pulled the homeless off the island. People don't yeah. realize that, but they actually scooped up all the homeless they could find and then gave them gave them lodging. Like there was no one around. It was the weirdest, creepiest thing. And you knew you were in like an epicenter of all epicenters in America. And it's like a Petri dish, you know, the island isn't that long, right? It's not a very yeah. big island. Really, if you think about it in square miles, and literally everyone is stacked on top of each other, you know, that's the way yeah. it is. So the creepiest, weirdest experience to be there when it was like, yeah. it was like, you couldn't have made a movie like this. Like it was just the creepiest, oh, yeah. weirdest thing. Yeah. And I mean, my dad was there um, alone, which was honestly really hard for me just because I was like, not only like just like missing him because I didn't see him for a couple months, but just the fact that he was like held up in his apartment um, was just sad to me. And I was, I would worry about him, but you know, he, he kind of echoed a lot of what you're saying, just like complete, complete ghost town. And when he would venture out maybe for like groceries once in a while, it was just like, in and out very quick. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a weird, creepy experience. I remember when you all came back, I think it was close to the spring because I think there were like flowers blooming and things like it was still a kind of a ghost town, but it was like starting to look like life was there again. It was, I remember your mom posting some pictures of it. Yeah. So the next question is a fairly serious one. So Kristen Miller has this um, has this question for you. My boyfriend found my Lexapro, which I take for anxiety and constantly uses it against me and calls me crazy anytime I'm emotional. I love him, but what should I do? Oh my gosh. Do we think, do we think use against, she means just like in a general, like emotional manipulative sense like at first I thought when you were reading that that she meant that he was taking the medication no it looks to me like he's just calling her names calling her crazy okay she's emotional I mean <laughs> like my first thought is like dump him but that's obviously not very productive so I would say she has yeah. to at least talk to him about this and say that this is, you know, bothering her, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, for sure. I would also think that, um, you know, for your partner, significant other to be invalidating your mental health struggle is, is going to take a really big toll on your healing and above all else you're going to want to be focusing on that. And so it, first of all, communicating that, which can obviously be hard, just even the littlest confrontation between, you know, the closest people in your life can be very difficult, but like 
communicating that like that that is going to take a huge toll on you and your relationship is super side like super important and obviously oh good i didn't mean to cut you off no i mean i think it's just like at a certain point you have to be able to prioritize your own peace over what how how it's going to make someone else feel so whatever projections he's making shouldn't be your problem yeah and we don't know we don't have a lot of information from these couple sentences how old Kristen is or her boyfriend um but communication is always key so he needs to know that he's saying something that's upsetting her I think for sure mm-hmm. um but but even beyond that and I can't I don't can't you know it'll maybe defend the boyfriend here but I think sometimes people make fun of things they don't understand too and yes, that's their way of sure. you know compensating with it but um but certainly I think Kristen in the in the least you need to tell them your feelings on that bothers you if it still keeps happening maybe there's a more extreme solution to this right. but but that's probably uh to begin with I think that's probably a good solution um Jillian McLean asked if you believe in manifesting I love that question because I think it's such a buzzword right now and to different people it means different things um I definitely believe in like the mentality of it that, you know, you want to have, you, you do call in what you attract. So you want to embody the qualities and attitudes that you, you know, hope to see in other people or even hope to hope to naturally emulate in yourself. So I definitely believe in it I I think that it's like you know it's it's tough to really be able to say if me uh sitting down one night manifesting a relationship is gonna just like call in someone like I I don't think that that's like like obviously that stuff is is loose but I think that just kind of like switching your mindset is absolutely you you'll see results from it and that's kind of how I view manifesting because like it's it's less to me about like prayer and wishing for something and more about like switching your mindset to be in the right um framework to like to receive sure yeah yeah And the last question I've got for you is from Kelly Jeffries, and she asks, what's the best way to seek talk therapy if I can't afford it? Yeah, I mean. I mean, that sounds like a little bit like what chill pill is, right? Right. (laughs) Like, I mean, tale as old as time. It's super frustrating to me and to any mental health advocate out there that there's such a discrepancy in terms of healthcare and mental health care. But um, there are options. There are, you know, apps you can subscribe to that can pair you with a licensed professional after you fill out like a quick survey. there are, and then there are also, you know, your just typical recreational self-care techniques that can not, re- not replace therapy, but can be supplemental in those ways. And like chill pill, I think is going to be a super great resource for someone who, especially young women who are maybe growing up in a house where their parents don't traditionally believe in therapy, or they don't feel they don't have the resources to provide their kids with it it's like this is a free accessible way to improve their mental health and all they have to do is show up and be authentic experience and other requirements for joining so um 
there's definitely a lot out there to explore, but I would say first and foremost, just like look into the options that come with your, your insurance, because I mean, it's a slow movement, but there's definitely way more therapists are, and just, um, offices are, are taking insurance because, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't have in the first place. Um, so that's definitely shifting and that's a good thing, but, um, yeah, so look into those options. And also like, I always say, if you either attend like a school an institution, or if you're working for an employer, like look at their options and look at the benefits that you're heard through whatever affiliations you have, because, you know, it, you there there's an obligation I would say by the systems that we take part in to give us those resources and um the tides are definitely shifting on that too yeah yeah well I'd like to thank all those listeners for these questions today hope that was relatively painless (laughs) to do I think there were some there were some great answers given for sure What's the future of a take a Xenex? I mean, I don't really, I, I don't know if I can say, but because um, I'm kind of just taking it one day at a time. I'm not really, now that I have, um, you know, this job at Chill Pill, I've kind of been using take a Xenex as my less of a professional resource I guess and more of just like my personal diary because people respond to that they appreciate that and it's also therapeutic and cathartic for me so I I started to focus less on like how many followers I had and how many likes I was getting and more on just like putting out content that like I served me and I felt like would serve other people um yeah I like it. You still put out great stuff. Last night, uh, I was I caught your your Instagram story, and you mentioned watching Euphoria. So we have that in common. So I want to get into a to hear at the tail end of the podcast. I want to talk about Euphoria for a minute. Oh goodness! So I have to say, I wasn't sure they could top the first season. This second season. I feel like I need either need to smoke a cigarette when the episode's over or I need to do a shot or something because yeah. I need like a full week to decompress. There's no way oh, I can yeah. binge watch season two. <laughs> it's intense. Absolutely. So my first question is, you know, is this representative of Generation Z? Like it, how crazy is, I hear people tell me that it's right on the money. This is what we go through. This is what our world is like. And other people to say, this is just a, a bunch of sensationalized hooey. You're closer to Gen Z than me. What is going on here? What's the appeal to this show? How is it, how is it grabbing viewers like it is? How is this thing so immensely popular? Uh, you know, I think that it takes emotions and feelings that are very real and spins them into circumstances that are not real, if that makes sense. Like, I think that the struggles that each character is facing is something most watchers can act, most viewers can access in some capacity. Um, I think every viewer can find a certain character to to relate to and to empathize That's with. That's absolutely right. But, yeah. But I don't think, I think a lot of the actual circumstances of the show are very sensationalized and like that is because it's entertainment. But I I think that also it's like a little bit uh, part of the appeal for me and my friends and just like my generation is the escapism of it, like to kind of like escape the chaos of our lives with the pandemic and everything that's gone on in our world and like be in this other dramatic universe. Chaos. That <laughs> Escape you know, chaos with more chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's crazy, but I, I, th- I think that that really is, that you know, is it, an appeal. It, it, 
it's odd to me. Now, see, I, I, I grew up in the Beverly Hills 90210 generation of that's how high school was portrayed, right? <laughs> so that was like, my, so this is about as far opposite as you can get from that. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to me because like Nate's really screwed up family seems very real to me, right? And oh, yeah. Rue's issues with drugs it seems very real to me. And even stuff like Nate and the girls that he sleeps with, the love triangle thing there seems real to me. But all this put together in a giant stew, it's just, this is the craziest town with the craziest shit going on. <laughs> oh yeah. It's just, no, it's, it's amazing. It's really just like how many things can crash and burn at once, especially in this last episode, they kind of, I think made that the climax of the season where just everything was kind of being exposed and just crashing down um which again is like just part of the artistic aspect of it and not like not necessarily super realistic but the feelings are are real and the experiences are experiences that people can relate to there's a, always kind of this um, this way of thinking about, uh, you know, when someone cheats outside the relationship. It's not about the third party. It's about the couple. That's what I think a lot of psychologists will say. In this situation with Nate and all the women that he's been with in this show, who is there a villain here? Is the issue with these with the girls that know each other and they're possessive of what another has is Nate just predatory how do you define these characters in terms of where their flaws are at I mean I think it's it's multifaceted and the relationships and dynamics between each of them but I also think that you know every character is broken in some way and dealing grappling with with their own traumas and that's kind of like just <sighs> inhibiting them from having healthy relationships with one another um and yeah I, I think until like each of them is able to individually sort out their trauma they're not going to be able to have productive relationships and dynamics with each other like that goes for friendships and for romantic relationships it's just kind of any relationship chloe this is a podcast all on its own a psycho analyzing every episode of of uh, euphoria it's because i for me that's it's not a sort of mind-bending for me and i like to think about that particularly coming from a an entertainment writing background myself together the backstories that go into these characters what make them what they are uh, that's why I, I really liked um you know cal's backstory happening because it just yeah. it answered so many questions about the first season and so yeah. much about his family i liked so much, that a lot too yeah like that was just and you knew that sam levinson had to have been thinking about this in season one where this was going to finally bubble to the surface at and it's such a cerebral show for me and it's very visually appealing this season all shot on film it looks gorgeous and and it really puts you in it and it's uh, it's quite quite amazing but I wanted to just take a minute at the end of the show and and see what your feelings were about that show and and get into a little psycho babble about it I think yeah well I appreciate you coming back so let's go ahead and make an appointment for two years from now to come back again. <laughs> no, hopefully we'll talk before then. But, uh, you know, I'm always happy to uh, to talk to you here. I do hope you come back more often. And uh, all, all my best with, uh, you know, chill pill and take a Xenex and just keep putting your your beautiful words out there to people. And uh, and I know every, it means a lot Thank to so many, so many people. And uh, you're an important person. Uh, in this world right now and you're not afraid to be real in how you talk about it thank you that really means a lot and I think it's it's easy to feel like in this digital age that what you put out there gets lost because there's just so much there um 
but you know what kind of keeps me going with it is knowing that if one pair of eyes sees it that's that's enough that's making an impact that's making a difference and um yeah I mean it's it's always going to be tough you yearn for that validation but finding that validation from within too is a really important life skill I've learned for sure for sure well thanks for coming out today and we will talk soon yeah take care Chloe bye-bye thank you have it my interview with Chloe Bowne I hope you enjoyed it I'm always happy to have her back as a guest she's filled with so much wisdom for someone so young I'm really excited to see where her career goes thanks for listening we'll see you next time on quest thank you for listening to this podcast Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content.